and welcome to episode 45 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that thinks the game is better off without the Pro Tour, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined by the brazen borrower herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I'm doing okay. Um, had a bit of time off earlier in the week because it was my birthday, so oh, yeah. that was quite nice. Um, didn't do a lot because we're still in, you know, lockdown times. Mm. Um, however, I did watch the new Mortal Kombat movie, which is surprisingly good if you're really into the nostalgia. It was a fun watch. Mm. In, ter- in terms of content, I have been very, very busy prepping for the Elusive Bond Horizons 2 previews, which is very, very soon. Um, mm. It feels not far away at all. Also, as avid followers of the podcast may have seen, I've been working very, very hard on updating the socials and the image of the BM cast. Yes. Um, we've had a little rebrand, we're a bit more prim and proper, um, <laughs> and now we're just called the BM cast across all platforms as opposed to, you know, the Budget Magic cast, just to make it seem a bit more uniform. Otherwise, yeah. I've been playing a little bit of Hades when I've been free, but not a huge amount. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. In terms of magic, I got a bunch of mystical archive cards to update my decks this week. So I now have some beautiful grape shots in Twiddlestorm and some stunning strategic plannings in Pioneer Phoenix. Also been on the hunt for a new modern deck as I'm looking for something a little bit different to play. Because I've had the Twiddlestorm and the Mono Blutron and stuff and, and the Burn and the mm-hmm. Prowess. I've had all those for a while. So I kind of feel like something a little different now. I haven't exactly decided on what I want to play yet. So if anyone listening has any sweet suggestions, feel free to hit me up over on Twitter at Savantir just in case. My article this week is actually about my Modern Horizons 2 wish list. So Ooh. on this, I covered the main cards I want to see reprinted. Yes, Cavern of Souls is on there. Good. The cards I want to see put into the modern card pool from outside of it. And even what I'd love to see downshifted for Pauper. There's a bunch of stuff on there that provides a couple of different sort of theory crafting ideas and, and some food for thought. So you can check that out over on Card Kingdom after this episode if that's your cup of tea. Outside of Magic... I finally caught up with all of the episodes of My Hero Academia this week. That's like four seasons in a whole week that that's, I went through. That's a lot of anime. Like, those it's, seasons are long. Yeah, it's it's easily become one of my favourite shows ever. It turns out that just showing an anime that's based on, like, you know, high school and superpower stuff is just great and lots of feel good. So, yeah. yeah. It, it sent me on multiple emotional roller coasters this week. I nice. highly, highly recommend it. It's also, other anime fans have a tendency to crap on people for this, but I watch almost exclusively dubbed anime because, yeah. well, I can't pay attention to anything else if I have to sit and look at subtitles the entire time. I need to be able to not pay attention for like half a second and still remember what's going on. And I will say that as far as dubs go, they are varying in quality, but My Hero Academia's one is among the best that I've nice. ever, ever, nice. ever experienced. It's incredible. I used to watch a lot of anime growing up. Um, mm-hmm. I've kind of gone off it quite a bit because my interests have changed. However, I do appreciate like, the, the stuff I'd watched growing up. So Cowboy Bebop's a really great example. That's one of my oh, favourite yeah. ones. So I'm really tempted to re-watch that again and just get into some smooth jazz because that intro is just knockout. Do it, so good. do it. And plus there's a Absolutely. hacker dog. What more could you want? There's a dog that hacks. <laughs> like Cowboy Bebop is the best film noir ever made. Changed my mind. Agreed. <laughs> We're moving on from anime. This is not the anime cast. Uh, so have we got any housekeeping this week, Emma? Uh, we do. So we would like to give a huge welcome and thank you to Jeff Eaton, who is the latest patron of our Stonks tier. So thank you very much, Ooh. Jeff, and enjoy the rewards. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, 
You can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right. So before we jump into the meat and bones of the episode this week, Emma, I believe it's your turn. What is the card of the week? It is my turn. So I've got a card that you're quite a fan of, I hear. Um, you love playing against this in oh you know, Commander, in Modern, and perhaps even in Pioneer. So the card I'm on about is Deafening Silence. <sighs> so for one white mana, you get an enchantment. And that reads, each player can't cast more than one non-creature spell each turn. In EDH, it's a slam dunking creature heavy white decks. And in a lot of cases, it's better than Rule of Law as well. Um, even in Modern and Pioneer, it's a great sideboard option, in, again, in creature-heavy decks that just attacks spell-based combo strategies. So stuff Scott likes to play pretty yeah. much. Also, the card is like 69 cents at the moment, which is also nice. Nice. So a play set is like <laughs> under $3, which feels really, really good. And that price is likely to go up once Throne of Drain rotates out in September, and it's an uncommon, so that price is likely mm. to rise at some point. So it's good just to have a set, I think, just for, for Modern, for Pioneer, and for Commander, just depending on the sort of strategies you play. But it's a very disruptive card. Yeah, yeah. It is nice to know that you woke up and chose Violence for the card of the week today. Right. I think it's on theme of what we're going to talk about, so, you know. Oh, very much so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, speaking of... We are doing something a little bit different this week. We have had our Modern Highlights series on and off where we talk about some archetypes in Modern, go into the details and talk about some budget lists and some higher up lists and some tips and tricks and that kind of thing. We decided, you know, some people are starting to get back into Pioneer, so why not do some for that as well? Because all things considered, Pioneer decks on the whole are significantly cheaper than Modern decks, so they're already much more affordable. And... Well, it gives me an opportunity to talk about my bin chickens. So this is the very first Pioneer Primer, and it is going to be on my beloved Is It Phoenix. So Is It Phoenix is a deck that sort of popped up in Standard when Arclight Phoenix first came around. Then it became a thing in Modern, and then Faithless Looting got banned. Rest in peace, good night, my sweet prince, all those things. Yeah, it hasn't really been the same in Modern. However, it has been floating along in Pioneer up until the most recent Banded Restricted announcement, after which it started to skyrocket. And it's kind of tier one, thereabouts, at the moment in Pioneer, which is wonderful and makes me want to get more people playing Pioneer so that I can pull my bin chickens out of the yard once more. So it's a tempo spellslinger kind of deck. For anyone that doesn't know what it does, uh, you basically constantly recur threats your Archive Phoenixes, mostly, uh, while controlling the board by casting spells. You cast multiple spells in turn, you gain additional advantage from each card used, and eventually you just overwhelm your opponent and win the game. So, moving into some of the key cards. Emma, I know you've played a little bit of Phoenix yourself as well, so... Yeah, I played a smattering of it in Modern when it was at the height of popularity. Not necessarily because I wanted to play it, I just wanted to understand it. And the best way mm. to understand decks is to play them. Um, so yes, I played, a, I played a handful of, of Is It Phoenix. In terms of key cards, Arclight Phoenix, obviously, is one of the most important cards in the deck, that, which it lends to the name of the strategy. It is mm-hmm. a four-mana creature, so for free generic and a red, you get a Phoenix that is a 3-2. It has Flying and Haste. 
and it reads at the beginning of each combat on your turn if you cast three or more instant sorcery spells this turn return Arc Life Phoenix to the graveyard to the battlefield and what you're looking to do is just continuously recur this not necessarily recur them all at once but incrementally through playing lots of cheap spells that we're going to talk about later and um, mm. best way to see this is just a vengevine for spells pretty because, much which really surprised me when it first came out and no one was like looking at this i'm just like vengevine's doing really messed up stuff in modern this like is yeah. easier to enable for that reason and yeah this is one of the build arounds in the strategy and it's a really really important part of it yeah yeah, for sure. Another key card, which I completely forgot is legal in Pioneer because it's banned in Modern and Pauper, is uh, Treasure Cruise. Uh, so you don't, if you don't know what Treasure Cruise does, it came about in Khan's Attack era, I believe. And so for seven generic and a blue, you get a sorcery. It's a blue spell. Um, and it has Delve. If you don't know what Delve does, you can exile a card from your graveyard to pay for the cost of this spell. And it just says, draw three cards. It's basically Ancestral Recall in the deck because you're binning so many spells, you're casting so much stuff. Obviously, you don't want to delve away your phoenixes, that's, that's not recommended. But yes, yeah, so it's Ancestral Recall. Uh, it's the best Treasure Cruise deck in Pioneer by a wide, wide margin because it's just 100%. you're running so many cheap spells. And it just helps you find enough gas to guarantee getting your phoenixes to discard them and to you know keep the loot going. It's a fantastic engine for the strategy. Yeah, yeah, it's so so powerful. The only reason that it's still in the format is because fetch lands don't exist here. That is the only reason. Now they are the two main cards. There's another one that is pretty important as well, and that's Crackling Drake because it's an alt win con that doesn't care about the graveyard. Yeah, you know, you, your opponent can have a rest in peace. You don't care. It also replaces itself. It draws a card on ETB. And it often will be a pseudo combo kill in the late game because you'll just cast a bunch of spells, get a bit of value. Most decks run one maximized velocity. That's a, a one red for a sorcery. Target creature gets plus one, plus one, and haste until end of turn and has um, jumpstart. So you can discard a card and cast it again from the bin. So you can just 20 your opponent out of nowhere with this so it's almost like an atog fling kill from like popper affinity kind of decks that kind of thing uh, i approve of this yeah yeah <laughs> and the other sort of most important part of this deck is actually the sideboard because the deck most effectively use utilizes the sideboard compared to any other deck in the format i think and good sideboarding skills will reward you massively with is a phoenix uh, because you dig so much in this deck, like with the Treasure Cruise and the Opts and the Charter Course and all sorts of stuff, that you will very, very easily find Silver Bullets in this deck. So having one or two ofs in the sideboard or the main board is fantastic. It's super easy to find them. If you don't need them, there's loads of stuff to discard for value or whichever. Um, it's also important to be able to diversify threats to prevent getting stuck under like Graveyard Hate or under Narset, part of Reveils, that kind of thing. And some matchups, you can just board out a bunch of removal or whichever, or a bunch of like the, sometimes you even pull out the Arclight Phoenixes themselves mm. and replace them with interaction, like counter spells and that kind of thing. And you basically turn into is a control. Like the Luca Yorion decks, you pull out all four Arclight Phoenix against them and just win with the Crackling Drakes and you just mm. have a bunch of interaction instead sure. because you want to answer what they're doing. Does it turn into like a protect the queen sort of strategy, like a like old Delver sort of? You want to deploy this crackling Derek, but you want to protect it with countless spells and stuff like that. Yeah, it's kind of it's almost like a reverse protect the queen because mm. rather than putting it down early and keeping it alive, you're keeping yourself alive and then putting it down and protecting it till yeah. the end. So yeah, it's it's really cool. It can transform into like a control deck when it wants to. 
but yeah, sideboard is super, super important here. And with every deck, there are cards that you need to be aware of. Some of them are very detrimental to your game plan. And the first one on the list, you know what? I've been got by this card too many times. It triggers me every time it's cast now. So Same. I'm going to have to get you to take this. As someone who plays Bogles, and to an extent, also of Auras, if we're talking Pioneer, yes, I don't I don't like seeing this card either. And that card is Fortsies. Um, mm. it's, it's a very powerful sorcery. It's probably one of the best spells in the format that yep. continues to just see consistent play. It can seem counterintuitive, but taking a key spell can slow you down significantly. In some cases, it can feel like a time walk just because they can take a draw spell, a cantrip of some mm. kind, and it just really slows you down. It can be mitigated with stuff like Pieces of the Puzzle and Treasure Cruise because Treasure Cruise has Delve, so that helps pay for that at some point. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. like because you really want to have a quick early game with Phoenix, you really want to set up those turns where you can just you know throw out like Phoenixes at your opponent, and that just slows it down, and it's just a really powerful spell. Yeah, 100%. The big thing for me with Totsies is it will knock you off curve, and you're not necessarily curving out with this because you're just casting a pile of random spells usually but you need to be able to choose when to recur the things and when to get that huge engine running and if they take one key piece like if you have a bunch of phoenixes in hand and you have like your only discard outlet is an is a charm and they take that you're like well i now have dead cards in my hand yeah you know that's really really back you know it's a bad time when you have to cast your ally phoenixes it's been it's been done mm. it has been done <laughs> um, I've, I've cast this street race so i can agree with you um, yeah. it's very similar <laughs> yeah. another thing that you're very afraid of generally is rest in peace or just generally speaking graveyard hate but rest in peace is the big one because your main threats rely on the graveyard that's simply it uh, you also have more incidental graveyard value than most decks so with rest in peace it's particularly bad because like the maximized velocity won't be able to be jump started because it's gone forever phoenixes as we said treasure cruise will now cost you eight mana mm. you know they're absolute backbreakers but some other graveyard hate isn't actually as bad so for example if they have soul guide lantern and they have it out on the field yes they can pop it to stop you getting the birds out before combat but they also have to be aware of when they choose to exile it. Because if you put too many things in the bin and they don't exile it, you can just get a one-man treasure cruise and mm. be ahead, you know? So that's an important thing as well. The good thing about Graveyard Hate is, like we said already, Crackling Drake is a three of in the main of most of the builds now. So you mm. just get to kind of play around it. So it's not that bad. But it's still probably one of the best pieces against you. Sure. So next up is Narset Part Reveals, which... Mm has a really annoying passive ability, which is where you can't draw more than one card in each turn. This shuts off treasure careers in a big way, slows you down dramatically because you want to be drawing cards, you want to keep refilling your hands so you can bring back those Arc Light Phoenixes. Yeah. However, she can be beaten quite easily with Burn Spells because she's an uncommon planeswalker, she has a bunch of minus abilities, so that's gonna go down eventually. Plus, your Arc Light Phoenixes have flying in haste, they're very evasive, so essentially, it's very much like a lightning bolt to, the, to Narset. And it's very easy to deal with. If it resolves early, you might be stumbling a little bit just because you can't, you can't is it charm and you can't treasure cruises yeah. effectively without her. 100%, yeah. She's definitely on the lower level of painful for this deck, but still mm-hmm. a thorn in your side when you see her land, for sure. Now, no good deck is without its good matchups. And is it Phoenix? One of the reasons why it is at the top of the metagame at the moment is because it is good against a lot of decks and you can tweak it 
so that you can have several silver bullets in the main to be good against specific decks as well. So depending on your metagame, you can customize this to your heart's content. The first good matchup is Mono Black Aggro. So yes, we mentioned already the Thoughtseize is an absolute beating, but you are full of redundancy and card velocity, so you can recover from Thoughtseizes. And the great thing about it is you have a ton of removal. So you can just keep killing their stuff. If you just keep killing their stuff, you're fine. Their removal is not exile based. It's all just like fatal push or, you know, cast down or whatever, which is fine. You, if they want to spend mana killing a Phoenix so that you just have to cast more spells and get it back, absolutely no problem at all. And you also have no issue whatsoever on getting some of your birds back and then just not attacking. So it forces them to spend their mana on removal or they have to actively attack into it and trade off their potentially non-recurring threats. They do have some recursive threats, but you essentially have infinite blockers, kind of. So generally speaking, mixed with removal spells, aggro matchups tend to be quite good. Yeah. Um, another good matchup, uh, talking aggressive matchups, is uh, mm. Monogreen Stompy. Just because you are packed with removal and often you'll have Aethergust in the sideboard as well, which is yeah. just amazing against a Monogreen deck post-board. Um, it just destroys them. Um, you just have so much removal, you can keep the board tidy of threats. Killing Lanoir Elf is a big deal. Like You want to wild slash that on sight pretty much if it's yeah. in the early game. And unlike Mono Red, your removal, such as Lightning Axe, can easily take out the bigger threats because there is like a counter sub thing with Stompy. So you can you can get over them a little bit. And plus the evasiveness from the Phoenix has also helped quite a lot here as well. And Crackling Joke for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to closing out the game, you can do it in pretty short order by the time you have whittled them down. Uh, I think the biggest takeaway from this one is killing Llanowar Elf. Like, yeah. always bolt the bird when it comes to Izafina. Slash the elf? That's not quite the same, but it applies yeah, here. Slash the elf, bolt the bird, you know, it's, it's, it's all the premise. same. Because one thing about Mono Green Stompy is their curve essentially starts at three. Yeah. They want to turn to old growth troll or turn to steel leaf champion or something freaking huge just something enormous and if they don't get to do that for an extra turn all because you just spent a mana that's that feels terrible yeah. you know uh similarly naya winota decks which are still running around the place they're they're still pretty decent it's the exact same thing there Kill Lanowar Elf and you have bought yourself a ton of time. Lightning Axe also does really good work here because you just hold open one mana and you can kill Winota on sight. Yeah. The thing that's good with Naya Winota is generally speaking, you have to kill most of the creatures you see, which makes it difficult for some decks to sort of stay afloat. Because if they go turn one Lanowar Elf and you kill it, and then they go turn two something else, and then turn three, they go Rabble Master and then you kill it eventually like every single threat they're putting down is a must answer threat mm. that can overwhelm some decks it doesn't really overwhelm phoenix because you're like okay i have one removal spell in my opener but i've also got a bunch of card draw so i'll kill your elf then i'll cast a bunch of card draw spells get a load more burn spells kill everything else now my birds are back you know mm. it's it's pretty well set up to uh, to be able to deal with that and just holding open one mana to be able to lightning axe a winota or rabble master wherever you need to is just super easy now, they're sort of the main good matchups. Anything with creatures, you just dance all over them. It's no problem at all, really. But there are bad matchups. And one of my favorite decks in the format, actually two <laughs> of my favorite decks in the format, outside of Visa Phoenix, are actually bad matchups for this. Why don't you it's take typical, the first one? typical, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. So the first one is Burn. Um, so yeah, the Burn decks, they just have more reach. 
A lot of the creatures either have haste or an ETB that does damage. So uh, just like they're going to be an annoyance to deal with. Like even if you remove it, they've kind of done their job. They've, they've hit yeah. you in the face or whatever. Idol on the Great Rebel requires an immediate answer unless you want to kill yourself by tr- chaining off various cantrips because you're a low, you are a low curve strategy yeah. because you're running so many cheap removal spells and draw cards. Aethergust is not great post board as most things cost one or two mana, so they can just replay it as well, which doesn't feel great. Yeah, yeah for sure. And then the other bad matchup, another favorite of mine, Lotus Field Combo. <laughs> it's kind of like Twiddlestorm, I guess. Uh, you just have the wrong kind of interaction in game one. You've got burn spells. And a lot of them only hit creatures and don't hit face. So you have very little permission. You don't really have a fast enough clock. Like you can't get them dead by like turn three or four like mm. Burn can. So post board, it does get better because you get to bring in permission spells. But it is entirely dependent on both the types and the amount of counter spells that you have in the board. So it's if there's a lot of this wherever you're playing Pioneer, Phoenix may not be the choice for you. But that's the sort of the main ins and outs on the basics of Phoenix itself. We do have some tips and tricks, and I do want to lead with one that gets my goat sometimes. Okay. Because I've seen people play Pioneer Phoenix and say it's not good. Would you say this and is a rant? It's a very small rant. Okay. Very small rant. But do not try to play this like it's the modern version of Phoenix, back when Faithless Looting was a thing. It's not the same deck. That was a Blitz deck. Like, is it Blitz in modern now is the next evolution of is it Phoenix? That's just how it is. This is a different deck. You're much closer to a control deck that can just turn the corner quickly when it needs to. And usually you should probably play it as such. You know, there are very few cases, like for example, with Lotus Field Combo, where you just have to try and get them dead as quick as possible. That's not that's not what this game is about. Mm. Rant over. <laughs> just just want to identify whether this was a rant or not. We haven't had a rant in a while, so I just thought I'd want to just make that yeah. name. Um, another good tidbit of information is that you have a really good long game so don't be afraid to settle into a grind it's not all about just spinning mm. phoenixes and just getting them out soon as possible you can afford to like sandbag that per se. Um, you can always work on grinding down the opponent for a short time then when there's an opening you can capitalise by spamming spells and pressing at your advantage cards like treasure cruise which we talked about earlier does a lot of heavy lifting here so Mm. don't be afraid to be like oh I can I can turn into a mid-range or I can turn into a control strategy because we talked about that earlier you can definitely fall into a control strategy if you need to for sure there's yeah. a lot of versatility which is what makes it at Phoenix really really good 100% and speaking of versatility there's a hidden mode on chart of course uh, and that is two mana draw two cards yes people just don't use that mode so, chart of course is one in a blue for a sorcery, for those that can't remember, that says draw two cards, then discard a card unless you attacked with a creature this turn. Sometimes, it might seem counterintuitive, but attack with a creature first, and then in the second main, cast chart of course to draw more cards. It's a very strong play, not enough people do it. It should probably be done way, way more in the likes of grindy matchups, especially because cards like Lightning Axe can leave you down on cards especially if you don't have anything to discard for value. So in those grindier matchups, it's all about card advantage, not necessarily the card velocity. So you need to make sure that you're keeping yourself well stocked. And Chart, of course, is one of the best cards for doing that. Mm. You just have to attack first. Which is not hard when you have phoenixes that have haste. No. It's so easy. <laughs> Next, so Spikeville Hazard is an incredible card in the deck. It's an amazing role player. It can kill mana dorks, like we identified how important it is to kill Lanawai Elves in the Stompy and Winota matchups. Um, tagging a creature or a low loyalty planeswalker so it, 
they exile when they die is, mm-hmm. is a good one. Um, or even just playing it as a land on turn one is good because you can afford to have a tap land on turn one in a pinch if you if you really, really need it. Low damage doesn't matter much when you're casting a barrage of spells. The spell itself is more important. So one damage might not seem a lot, but it might bring back six points of damage because it brings back your arc like phoenixes that can attack. Mm. It's a really good enabler in this case. For sure, for sure. You want to get a little bit of value from every spell. It's the actual casting of the spell that's most important yeah. for, the, for the most part in this deck. Now, there's another thing as well that a lot of people have been unsure of, and I'm here to sort of squash the, the thought of this. Some people have seen that the decks are now running one of Anger of the Gods in the main. And they're like, well, it, it exiles creatures when it deals damage and it kills them. So, like, why would you run it? It kills your phoenixes. It is by far the best sweeper to run in the format, despite the fact that it may exile your phoenixes. Okay, because first of all, you have the choice of when you cast it. It doesn't say you can only cast this after you've played your phoenixes. Like, just do it beforehand. Or just God, don't cast the spell so the birds don't the get back. I know, right? <laughs> So set up for it accordingly, you know, like you could wild slash your phoenix first and then cast anger of the gods. So that way you only have to cast one more spell and you get the bird back mm-hmm. and that's all good, you know, or just cast it before you play any birds. One thing that's really good with this as well is quicken is great with anger of the gods. So you can lure your opponents into overcommitting on their turn. And then like during combat, you can be like, oh, quicken, draw a card, anger of the gods, mm. exile everything. And then you can untap and just go to town. Anger of the gods is right. Do not run sweltering suns you do not want to pay three mana to draw a card ever if you do you're probably dead it's just not fast enough it doesn't exile just trust me on this anger of the gods is the, the right exile way is super relevant in pioneer like, against like mono black in particular because they can just bring back gutter bones and so forth it's just a very clean way to deal with things and the upside outweighs the downsides for you mm-hmm also worth noting that nearly every aggressive deck in the format is a Luris deck. So exiling is very important. As an Orzov uh, Auras player, this makes me very sad, but is the correct play. <laughs> <laughs> and then one final little tip that we're going to mention on the cast here is there is a general casting order to your card draw spells and your cantrips and stuff. You normally want to start with an opt because you get to just look at the top card if you don't need it to continue the train running you can you can bottom it and get rid of it strategic planning then lets you look at three so you can choose the best one for your mode at the time and lets you bin phoenixes that you might see there treasure cruise is usually the next one because you normally want to leave the ones that discard from your hand till last which will be something like charter course or is a charm now this will vary especially treasure cruise because sometimes you'll have to wait until you discard something with the charter course in order to be able to delve enough away so you need to always be aware of what you're casting, but there is a general casting order of opt, strategic planning, treasure cruise, chart of course, and is a charm, generally. Mm. But yeah, that's it. If you're looking for some more tips on this, our Patreon, you can sign up on there and any tier will get you access to the show notes where we have some Patreon exclusive tips. So that is it for Pioneer Primer number one, Is It Phoenix? And let me tell you, I love my bin chickens. And if this gets even one more person playing with these bin chickens, I'll be so happy. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> if only the listeners at home could see the look on your face right now, because we're doing this over video. <laughs> it's a look of love. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I love my bin chicken so much. I know you do. For the patrons as well, in the show notes, by the way, we have <laughs> placed the first place list from the Pioneer Challenge that went down on the 2nd of May. That was a is a Phoenix list. And I also have my own personal list that I run. So if you want to go check that out, it's over on the show notes. Now, last thing on the docket today, Emma, Q&A. Have we got any questions? We've got a few today. Uh, people Ooh. have been tweeting in, which is lovely to see. EVD Majors tweeted in to say, so with the D&D Adventures of the Forgotten Realms coming, they think cars like Portable Hold are going to make Delirium a thing again in modern. Hmm. With that, Traverse the Evil World is under $2 right now, and it's a great pickup. It is also a great pickup for Commander if you play green, because Delirium is very easy to meet in Commander. Yep. It's also very good for Pioneer, because Delirium decks have shown up all over the place. Yeah, I remember when Pioneer first came about and it was just like standard All-Stars was the format mm-hmm. and the Green Black Delirium was one of them and they just packed a load of Traversy Even Wolves and it was a really good card. It's a good, like, yep. at $2 it's really, really good. And then next we have a tweet from Jeffrey David. Uh, mm-hmm. They tweet in to talk about Urza Saga, which is the card just previewed from Modern Horizons 2. So they say, Urza Saga will work great in EDH with mono-white catch-up style ramp decks. It fetches your soaring, then you get to sack it, making it easy to trigger white catch-up ramp effects like Mantax or Keeper of the Accord. Also mm. works really, really well with Hall, Hall of Helios Generosity, which was back in Modern Horizons 1, because it puts enchantments back on top of your deck. Yeah. Also, um, something I just want to mention quickly, the guys over at Faithless Brewing, who are uh, like a modern brewing podcast, they yeah. did a really good string of tweets about all the intricacies and nuances and things you can do with Urza Saga. It's in the show notes. Check it out. I felt like I leveled up just from reading that string of tweets because it was very, very clever and very well thought out. So I highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, I really like this idea. Like the first thing that people thought of was like, oh, fetching the Sol Ring and stuff. But I didn't think about the catch up ramp effects and stuff. That is actually Mm. very clever as well. Maybe this is the way forward for white ramp in general is to find a way to abuse the catch up ramp like this. Yes. It's going to be mm. interesting to see. I, I can see it popping up in a lot of command decks. I haven't really thought about as a server for commander. I've been thinking about it for modern and legacy. Um, it'll be interesting to see where it lands in commander. For sure. Yeah, so we've got a treat from Joe Cunningham, and they ask, when will Ura and Oko be downshifted to pauper? And as Ralph Wiggum once famously said in an episode, never. <laughs> <laughs> Needed to get Simpsons reference in. <laughs> Yeah, if if yeah. Ura and Oko come into pauper, I will quit magic. And that is on record. <laughs> I think, I think I'll do the same. Cool. This is pointed directly at me, by the way. Joe Conan is uh, someone that plays down in the LGS that I go to, well, outside of pandemic times, I guess. All I'm going to say to that is, Joe, I hope your Stinkweed Imps get banned. Sounds like he's a dredge player. Mm, filthy dredge players. Didn't you play dredge at one point? <laughs> Shut up. Next question. <laughs> uh, so the last question... Is from uh, Chris J. Ray, and they ask, as a new player, are the pre-constructed decks, such as this one, the mono-red aggro deck from the Challenger deck, the recent one, Mm. is it worth it? And the answer is, yeah, it's very, very good. It's probably one of the best ones they've done in the world. Like, all the Challenger decks are all very, very good. They've been consistent over the years. Like, the last two or three have been really, really good. Um, We did an episode on it back on episode 36 where we broke down each Challenger deck and upgraded them for Pioneer usage. So Mm. if you do pick one up and you kind of want to get some more usage out of it, you can port it to Pioneer quite easily. Plus, it's a red deck. It's really easy to pick up and it allows you to understand the fundamentals of magic quite easily. 100%. When it comes to the question of is it worth it, it kind of depends what you're looking at. If you're looking at something to get into 
having a half decent deck to play in say the likes of you know pioneer or modern or whichever for when we can play in lgs again yeah absolutely it's a great start like you said if you're just looking to play at like a kitchen table just a pile of cards is fine you know like if you're looking to just like sit at a kitchen table learn the fundamentals just play around with like a family member or a friend or something that's all good if you want to chill out like on a board game night with some friends or something then the commander decks the pre-cons would be the better ones to go for but yeah i mean as far as value goes you you're going to get a, a decent product for the the price that you pay for them yeah yeah you get, you get an ember cleave in there which is going to be good value especially when eldraine rotates it's going to be very good value so you you'll mm. get you'll make your money back on it if it's not for you but it's a really really good starting point as a beginner player sure. yeah the only downside there is you'll become a filthy ember cleave player so thank you for listening to us here at the bm cast and a special thanks to our patrons at the cheering fanatic tier we have alejandro kilgore trout 503 max makes magic the jess guy the joe cheney nicholas martin bradley rose Ian Holland and Christopher McCarthy. At the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, a nice planeswalker, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Tom Telford, Alex Gibson, and Jeff Eden. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. And we'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.